Y'all doing good this morning? You ready to get in the Word? Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and you can also turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. God is good. You ready to receive this morning? Amen. Last week, I started a new series titled Our Position in Him. And dealing with position, I've been really dealing with it since November in different aspects. It started with a scripture out of uh, Acts chapter 11 where Barnabas stood up and he said continually that they would cleave unto the Lord and they would remain faithful to the Lord with steady purpose of heart. That we make a decision in our hearts that we stay connected and that we stay hooked up with our Father. Amen? Amen. And then we started talking about our position in the secret place, talking about our position in prayer. And so now we're talking about our position in Him. You know, what I want to deal with today is I want to deal with the aspect of what is your true identity. You know, we grow up, all growing up, and, and even as a young child and as a teenager, what are, what are you searching for? You're searching for your identity. And even, even when you, as you grow up and you're even getting older, still people are still looking for my identity. What, what am I about? What is my life all about? You know, and, and, and as I talked about last week, your perspective, it's how you see things and how you view yourself will cause you to see how God views you. And the thing is, if you view yourself in a negative light, then somehow that's how you're going to think God views you. So you're going to put everything through the lens of how you see yourself. The thing is, is we can't, we have to have our position in him. The position isn't about ourselves, but about being in him. You know, and I, I want to start with a story this morning in second Samuel chapter nine. And in the story, this is David, and, and here he, he goes to a man by the name of Ziba. And he goes to him, and he, and he says, you know what? I just want to show kindness to the house of Saul. I just want to show kindness to the house of Saul because I was connected to and had a covenant with Jonathan. And I just want to show my kindness towards him. Is there anyone left that's connected to this house? Is there anyone? Is there anyone out there, Ziba? And Z, who was Ziba? Ziba was Saul's servant. So he's going to Saul's servant and he says, is there anyone? Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? Is there anyone that I can show love to? Is there anyone I can show that what the Amplified says, unlimited faithfulness, mercy. And so Ziba goes to him and says, yeah, there's one. There's one. And, and they said, you know what? He's, but yet he's lame in his feet and he's over in a place called Lodabar. And his name is Meshibbeth. Say Meshibbeth. Man, what a name. Meshibbeth. Like that name, Meshibbeth. Just like saying it. Meshibbeth. Think if my name was Meshibbeth, I might have an identity crisis too. But, <laughs> sorry. Sorry if your name is Meshibbeth, if you're watching by way of internet. <laughs> But, but Meshibbeth's name, it, it, it comes from two different Hebrew words. And, and, and his name actually means, first part of the Hebrew word means to be broken in pieces. And the second part of the word means shame. And so his name actually means to be broken in pieces because of shame. And he's in, he's, and he runs to a place and he goes to a place called Lodabar. What is Lodabar? Lodabar means a place there's, where there's no pasture. Meaning there's nothing there to bring sustenance to my life. There's nothing there that's going to make my life better. There's nothing there that's going to cause me to succeed. There's nothing there that's going to cause me to flourish. Now, there's something you got to understand about Meshibbeth. He, he, 
His, his grandfather at one time was the king. And his father, Jonathan, served David. And so think about it. Your father one day was the king, but your father is also known as a failure. He's someone who's known as at one time had the glory of God on his life. Had the anointing of God on his life. And, and it even says in scripture that, that the presence of God left him and it said Saul didn't even know it. He lost the kingdom. He lost everything. Also, his grandfather had the reputation that he was insane. At the end of Saul's life, he was known to be crazy. So much so that when it said the demons or the, thing, the spirits that would come and torment him, he would come ask David, come play for me. Because that's the only time I have peace. See, a lot of times our identity is built upon our, our, our family before us. Our, our identity and our lives can be established because of what our family did, what our parents did. And, and on the day that, that, that his father and his grandfather died at the same time, on the same day, in the same battle. And when he was five years of age, the nurse that was taking care of him was running in fear and panic and dropped him and broke both of his ankles. And because of that, years later, he still is lame in his feet. So, so being like Meshibbeth, what would your identity be? My father was crazy. My, my, my grandfather was crazy. My father died when I was five. Ultimately, with his mother, his mother was actually, he was, he was, he was actually the child of a concubine. So, so our identity can be shaped by so many things. Our identity will be shaped by the, our generation before us, and then our, or our, genera- or our identity can be shaped by what's going on. I'm, I'm lame in both my feet. I'm pretty much handicapped. Right. And I'm in a place called Lodabar. See, he was full of shame, full of shame because of where he'd come from and who he'd been his entire life. But yet there's a man named David that says, send for him. David sends for him and he shows up and he bows his, he bows his face before him and he says, how can I serve you, king? And, and I, don't, I don't know, if I was Meshibbeth, I'd be like, is he going to kill me? After all, my grandfather wanted to kill him time and time and time again. Is he, is he going to kill me? See, our identity is so often shaped by our experiences. It's shaped by our past. It's shaped by who we always thought we've been. And you can even be here this morning and have made Jesus the Lord of your life, but yet still living with the identity that you had. And you're still living in Lodabar. You're still living with broken pieces of shame in a place where you have no sustenance because you're stuck with that. You feel like you're stuck with this wrong identity. Let's go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. You know, we have to come up to God's way of seeing things. Because your identity will never change until you see your identity from God's perspective. Your identity from God's perspective. Don't don't allow the world to shape your identity any longer. Fear will shape your identity. Past abuse will shape your identity. 
Names that people spoke over you will shape your identity. Addictions will shape your identity. And you can go through life and say, this is the way I'll always be. This is the way it's always been. I'll always be a failure. I'll get up on top for a little bit, then bam, I get knocked down to the bottom. I get on top for a little bit, and bam, something else happens. And you live in a constant state of not knowing who you are. Us not knowing who we really are. The body of Christ has an identity crisis. The world? <laughs> watch, uh, watch TV just for... No, don't watch TV, but be selective about what you watch. You watch TV long enough, you'll see people have identity crisis. They do not know who they are. Some of them don't know what gender they are. And they'll blame it, they'll blame it on science. But really, it's based, it's, it, everything. Most people that I know that are experienced identity crises, crises, it stems from something traumatic that happened in their past. Something happened that's causing them to, this is, this is the way I am. This is what needed. This is the way I feel loved. This is, this is how I feel alive. An identity crisis. But we need to come up to God's way of seeing things. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. It says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your earnings for what does not satisfy? Hearken diligent to me. And eat what is good. So what is he saying here? Why do you keep going after something that doesn't strengthen you? Why do you keep running after things that has no eternal value? Why are you going after things that are never really going to satisfy in the end? It's just always going to be something temporary. And, and a lot of times in our own lives, we, we can do the same thing where the things that we're most worried about are the things that a lot of times are the most temporary. Why do you do this? Why do, why do you go for that and your earnings for that does not, um, uh, does not satisfy? Hearken to me. Listen to me. He wants you to listen to him. Then he says, and eat what is good. Yes. So meaning what, what he's about to speak is good, yeah. right? Listen to me and eat what is good. Receive what is good and let your soul delight in fatness. Meaning what you're about to hear, you need to eat it because it's good. And why? And it's going to bring about abundance in your life. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul will revive. You see, where's your identity shaped? It's in your soul, your mind, your will and emotions. It's, it's shaped in your, it's, it's in your soul. So your, your either spirit man is going to shape your soul or your flesh is going to shape your soul. And most of the time we're led by our flesh. So therefore our flesh is what's shaping our identity. Everything we see, taste, touch, and feel is shaping our identity. But yet, according to this, we need to be led by our spirit because our spirit, when we receive the good words, he says, come to me and receive, come to me and receive and your soul will be revived. Meaning what you're going to receive is going to cause you to gain a new identity in your soul. It's going to cause your soul to be awakened. It's going to cause you to wake up on the inside. So many believers and people in the world are, are going around and they're asleep, so to speak. They don't know their identity. And he says, I will make an everlasting covenant or a league with you. Even the sure mercies, the kindness, the goodwill, and the compassion promised to David. Now listen, listen to this. Behold, I have appointed him, David, as a representative of the Messiah. 
So now, now get this. We just talked about David just a moment ago. And how, what did he do? He called for Meshibbeth. He called for the person that was broken in pieces because of shame. Called him out of a place where there's no, no substance to bring uh, uh, strength to him. And he calls him out. And here he says, behold, I have appointed David as a representative of the Messiah. So David is a type and shadow of the Messiah. Right? Just stay with me this morning. I'm just laying laying a foundation about our position in him. Now let's look at verse 6. It says, seek, inquire for, and require the Lord while he may be found. Claim him by necessity and by right. Call upon him while he's near. Now listen, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let the wicked, the word wicked there means the guilty or the condemned. Let the condemned. Meshibbeth, he was condemned, so to speak. Let the wicked forsake his way. What is way? His pathway, his journey, his, the way he does things. So here he's saying, let the wicked, let the person that's guilty, let the person that's condemned leave behind and relinquish their path, their way of life. And he says, and the unrighteous, his thoughts. So what is he saying here? He's saying leave behind. You need to forsake. You need to let go. You need to relinquish the way you do things, the way you think and thoughts there is your plans and your purposes. So what does it say here? Let the wicked man forsake his way. Let the wicked man, the guilty and the condemned turn away from his way to go to another way. Let the unrighteous Turn away, forsake, and relinquish his thoughts and his plans and turn another way. Are you with me? And let him return to the Lord. So we are to relinquish this and we are to turn to the Lord. And let him return to the Lord and he will have love, pity, and mercy for him and to our God. For he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. Amen. Thank you for your abundant pardon. Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. See, religion might, from this scripture, religion will say, see, you can't know God's thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than your way. You can't know his ways. Then why would he say, turn from yours and go to his? If we didn't, if we couldn't know him. That's just, that's just religion putting God in a box. See, the issue was the person that's wicked and the person that's unrighteous will never know God's thoughts and never know God's ways. So here he tells us that let that person forsake his way, return to the Lord. Why do we need to return to the Lord? Because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. It means we need to come up to God's way of seeing things. We need to, we need to come up to a new, a new way of seeing things. See, all your life you've seen things from one point of view, but you need to come up and see things from a different point of view. All throughout scripture, God's speaking to us to come up to a higher way of thinking. Even with John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, he talks about repent, repent. Amplified says, change your thinking and your conduct, change your way of thinking, repent. It's not just asking for forgiveness. Repent is going one direction, forsaking that direction to go to another direction. 
repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven. He's just saying, John said, Hey, Hey Rick, there's a new system coming. Isabel, there's a new way of doing things coming. Ken, there's a new way of doing things. So, Hey, turn away from those ways because you don't know God's ways yet. Hey, so turn away from those ways and follow these ways. God always wants us up throughout his scripture. He's saying, come up to my way of thinking, come up to my way of thinking. Hallelujah. And even the apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 17, what does he pray? I pray what the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to know the hope of his calling, the inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power. What is Paul saying? I'm praying that your eyes are open so you can come up and you can see the hope of his calling. Come up so you can see the inheritance that you have. Come up so you can see the exceeding greatness of his power. Come up to God's way of seeing things. Let's go to John chapter 8. Say, I'm coming up. In the way that God sees things. Hallelujah. John chapter 8. Every believer, all of us, we need to get immersed, so to speak, baptized, so to speak, in God's identity that he has. We need to get immersed in this. And, and, and it's the word of God. This is, this is his way of thinking. This is his thoughts. And we need to get immersed in this so we can come up and see things the way that he sees things. Amen? You know, let me ask you a question. Might sound like a trick question, but just bear with me. Was Jesus a liar? Was Jesus crazy? I like a message yesterday Planus preached years ago. I think it was one of the probably the second message I ever heard him preach. It was called The Insanity of Jesus. <laughs> I wish I could do his little laugh that he did in that. That's uh, I won't try, but because think about it. Jesus said a lot of things that if we were actually there, we'd have been like the disciples, like say what? Um, say what? So my question is, was Jesus a liar or did he just declare truth? Oh, if Jesus could declare something about his identity, should we declare something about our identity? I mean, in John chapter eight, verse 21 says, then said Jesus again to them, I go away And you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he said, whether I go, you cannot come. And he said to him, you are from beneath. And I am from above. You are of this world and I'm not of this world. Say what? Was Jesus a liar or did he just declare truth? Wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm from beneath and you're from above. Wait, wait a minute. I know your mama. I know your mama and I know your daddy. You're a carpenter. And I know you live in Nazareth. I know you live at, at 90210 Nazareth Street. And I know you live there. And so Jesus, come on now. Come on, Jesus. Wait a minute. I'm from beneath. Who do you think you are, Jesus? You are from beneath. I am from above. So was Jesus a liar or did he just declare truth? Was he crazy or did he just declare truth? We know the answer. But the thing is, is 
is will we say about ourselves what the word says about us? Oh, I can't really say that because I don't really feel it. You don't have to feel it. Well, I'm not going to really say that because that's not really happening in my life yet. No, you need to say it. You, you need to say it. See, Jesus was immersed in this word. He was immersed in this word. You know what? And he saw himself in this word. He saw himself about where he would be born. Wait, wait a minute. Okay, the Messiah is going to come from Nazareth. Wait a minute. Huh? I mean, from Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, I was born in Bethlehem. See, not many people knew that. That's why a lot of people had a hard time believing that was him because they knew the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem and they just thought he was from Nazareth. And so, well, yeah, he's going to come out of Egypt and he's going to come out and they're going to come and give him all these gifts. And all right, his. Yeah. And 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 so they're seeing all he's seeing all these things in Scripture. And see, he got immersed in this word so much that that he knew there was a point in time when there was going to be exchange an exchange of the priesthood. So much so that that's what he could say to John the Baptist and, and he could tell the people following John the Baptist and say, well, what did you go out and see just a reed shaken into the wind? And he says, well, he's so much more than a prophet. Well, why did he say that? Because he was actually the rightful high priest. And so we went to the John, went to the John the Baptist to get baptized. And what did the priest do? The priest was known to be the one that would declare the lamb that was slain, the, the, the lamb that would take away the sins of the people for that year. So when Jesus, when John saw him, he was doing something the rightful high priest would do. There's the lamb. Behold, he was slain from the foundation of the world. And so, and so therefore Jesus saying, man, it's all coming together. So Jesus was baptized to change priesthoods. So Jesus knew in, knew in the word that Jesus was not only be our sacrifice, but he was also going to be our priest at the same time. So when at, at the river Jordan, which means the, the place of change. When he was baptized, he came out of the water. And what happened? God said, behold, my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus saying, man, this word, I've been following this. And it's given me my identity. So that's why he could say, you're from beneath. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. And he was able to see in the word that, that yeah, the same one. In, in Isaiah 61, and he stood up and he opened as it was his custom to read in the, in the, in the, in the synagogue at that day. And he stood and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Where did he see that? In the word. In the word. We have to come up to God's way of seeing things. God's way of doing things. Let, let's keep reading here. Let's go over to verse 31. Thank you, Father. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Let me kind of give you a simple illustration for a word disciple right now. It's a reflection. A disciple is a reflection. So he's saying, if you continue in my word, then you will be my reflection. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that follows to the point to become. I mean, the disciples followed him to, to the point where they talked like Jesus, acted like Jesus, walked like Jesus. 
So that's what Jesus was saying. If you continue in my word, then the next verse says, and you shall know the truth. So when I continue in the word, I will know truth. Now, the word know here means to understand or perceive what is perceived. Perceive means, you know, I perceive it's, it's you're seeing something. So he says, you will know the truth and the truth. You will understand and you will see the truth and what the truth will make you free. So as you continue in the word, you're going to perceive what's true. And when, when you see what's true, it's what's going to make you free. See, the word is what gives you true identity. This word is what gives us true identity. The world will never give you your true identity. You, your true identity is found in Jesus. It is found in the word and it is found in God. Talk about your true identity. It doesn't matter what the world might, might have labeled you. It doesn't matter how you might be able to relate to Meshibbeth. You need to understand that your new identity is found in this word. And when you continue in this word, you will perceive truth. You will know truth. You will understand truth. And then you will, next thing you'll know, you'll be free. You'll be free. Why? Because all of a sudden now you know who you've always meant to be. Know the truth. And see, we need to receive what God has called us to be. We need to receive. What does receive mean? It means to take hold of. It means to lay hold of. It means to grasp and take into the heart and the mind. We need to receive what Jesus already purchased for us. We need to receive the fact. I talked about this last week that he has already blessed us. He has already chosen us. He has already adopted us. He has already accepted us in the beloved. You need to receive this. Our identity is found in this word. Second Corinthians chapter five. Let's, let's go there. Second Corinthians chapter five. Our position in him. Thank you, Father. And we talked about the scripture last week and we talked about no longer judging people from a human point of view. And they, and they even made a, they even made, Paul makes a statement. He goes, we no longer observe Jesus even from a human point of view. So that's why I talked about last week. No longer judge yourself based on human perspective, but base your life built on who Jesus is. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, meaning if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creature altogether. The old previous moral spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Receive that. Receive the fact that you're a new creation. You're a new creation. What's your identity? I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. But even though that's a word in this book... We still always still judge ourselves based on our old identity. Our old identity. So we need to let our old identity die. Now that doesn't mean that you can't relate to people. That doesn't mean that, that you, you don't know how to have fun. That doesn't mean that you don't know. But the thing is, it's gaining a new perspective about who you really are. Amen. You're a new creation, Rick. Amen. Armando, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. 
Old things, all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Receive that. Take that into your heart and mind that you're a new creation. Go, go to Colossians chapter 1. And see if I, Father, help me to relay this the way you desire to this morning. Colossians 1. Let's look at this new creation and this new identity that we have. Verse, let's see, verse 12. Give thanks unto the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has, hath, meaning already, delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In whom? In whom? Meaning in his Son. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In him. In whom we have redemption. So we talk about our position in him. What are we talking about? In him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. We have redemption. Remember, uh, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the, the new has come. Think about this for a moment. Redemption. A lot of times we don't really fully understand redemption. I want, I want to give you a picture this morning and and some of you might have seen me do this years ago, but, but it's in my heart to just relay this so we can all get an image of this. You know, what is redemption? Redemption means to buy off of, to buy back, to bring out of bondage, for, away from penalty, to buy off the auction block, so to speak. So you have to see ourselves. We were on this auction block that we were, we deserve to be on this auction block. We had, we, we were, we were, we had like that Meshibbeth mentality. We were broken. We were, we were broken in our feet. We were broken in our identity. We were broken because of our past. We were broken because of sin. We were broken because of addictions. We were broken because of anger. We were broken because of hate. And we're up on this auction block and we're there. But yet, according to the scripture, it says in whom redemption was made by his blood. Now, now think about this for a moment. Rick, come here for a moment. Help me out for a second. Stand up there for me. So Rick represents humanity. And here humanity has lost its identity. It, does, it doesn't really know who he is. And he doesn't really know why he's created. He's just going through life and being led by his emotions, being led by his flesh, being led by his wants, his desires. And we all, we're all in here and we're all looking at Rick. How much will you give for him? I mean, how about you? How much, how much would you give for him? Five dollar? <laughs> but, but think about this. Think of, think, of, think of humanity for a moment. Here, humanity is on the auction block, but yet you have all these people sitting there. And you have, you know, lust puts his head up and said, I'll give a thousand for him. So on the other side of the room, you know, where Mr. Baldwin said, he said, he goes, you know, I'm anger. You know, I'll, I'll give 10,000 for him. No, he has sickness over here. Sickness stands up. I'll, I'll give a million for him. Confusion over there on the, on the front row is saying, I'll give a million and a half. And see, man has been on this auction block. 
being purchased for whoever would want to take part to give him an identity. And he's just standing there, not knowing which direction to go. But we got to understand something about this scripture in redemption, something about redemption. Someone comes through the back doors and, and throws the doors wide open. He doesn't sit down with everyone else that is bidding on him, but yet he comes down the aisle and he walks down the aisle and he, he, comes, he comes towards him and he never makes a bid. But he's looking at him all the way down and everyone's, who is this person that's come in? Who's this person that, that, that's, that's standing there? And wait a minute, I mean, he doesn't have a right to be up there. He, wait a minute, what, what's he going to bid? I, I bid something higher. But yet the one that comes, is, it said he takes his blood and because of this redemption in his blood and the forgiveness of sins, he, he comes down and he gets down on a knee and takes, takes the hand of the person that's up there. He takes his hand and all of a sudden, come here, Ken. He takes this man's hand and he takes God's hand and he puts it together while he gets back up here and says, I'll give my life. You see, you see, it was a change of identity. It was a change of identity. If you keep reading here in John chapter eight, you keep reading in John chapter eight, where we were a little bit ago, Jesus having a conversation with them. And they said, they talk about Abraham being our father. And, and so their identity was based on everything that Abraham did. But he goes, no, 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 you're, you're, you're of your father, the devil. So Jesus was saying, you're getting your identity from the wrong person. You need to get your identity from me because I am the word made flesh. And when you continue in the word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, what did the word tell us? The word told us that God took man's hand. Jesus took man's hand and God's hand and put it together and brought about total redemption. So now our new identity is in Christ, not in the God of this world. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Put up uh, Romans chapter six. Stay there in Colossians, but put up Romans chapter six. Thank you, Father. Verse six. Let's read this in the Amplified. Put it in the Amplified for me. Thank you, Lord. We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin. Keep going might be made ineffective, inactive for evil. See, that, that's, that's a change right there, that our body might be now inactive for evil, might be made inactive and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. Keep going. For when a man dies, he's freed, loosed, and delivered from the power of sin among men. Keep going. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Keep going. Because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being once raised from the dead, will never die again. Keep going. Death no longer has power over him. Keep going. For by the death he died, he died to sin, ending his relationship to it once and for all. And the life that he lives, he's living to God in unbroken fellowship with him. Keep going. Last one. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken. Keep going but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Keep going. Let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal bodies. 
to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lusts and evil passions. You can stop there. There was this exchange, this redemption. This redemption. In Romans 5, it talks about one would lay down his life for, for a, 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 a mediocre guy. How much more? One would may, maybe lay down his life for a noble person. But really, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1, verse 20. For it pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of divine perfection, powers, and attributes should dwell in him permanently. And God purposed that through and by the service of him, the Son, all things should be completely reconciled, completely reconciled back to himself whether on earth or in heaven, as through him the Father made peace by means of the blood of the cross. And although you at one time were estranged and alienated from him, and you were a hostile attitude of mind in your wicked activities, yet now has Christ, the Messiah, reconciled you to God in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy and faultless and irreproachable in his presence. So then it's, we see redemption. What was redemption for? It was all about reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? To bring in harmony with. He redeemed us so he could reconcile us. And why did he reconcile us? So we could have access. Go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. He redeemed us so he could reconcile us and bring us in harmony with God. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both one and has broken down the middle wall partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. For to him to make in himself the two, one new man so making peace. And that he might reconcile, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you, which were far off and to them that were near for through him. We both have access. Say, I have access access. by one spirit in the father. Now, therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What was this all about? What is, what is this redemption all about? It was to bring reconciliation so we could have access. So we could be seated. Ephesians 2, verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace to his kindness to usward who believe. He made us sit together. He redeemed us to reconcile us. He reconciled us so we could have access. He gave us access so we could be seated. That's our identity. That's our identity. Thank you, Father. That's our identity. I want to read, I want to read something to you in Colossians 1 again. And this is in the NIV. It says, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything. Say everything. everything. 
He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who once were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, now he, this is, he has brought you into his own presence. Wow. He's brought you into his own presence. See, our identity is in him. What was this all about? The redemption. Once again, it's about redeemed us to reconcile us. He reconciled us to give us access. And he gave us access so we could be seated with him. So we could be in his presence. Wow. Be in his presence. Doesn't matter what your identity of your past is. You have a new identity. You have a new identity. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You have a new identity. And this new identity has been redeemed. This new identity has been reconciled. This new identity has been accepted. This new identity is able to sit in his presence. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, you don't need to turn there. He's talking to the philosophers of the day. They're trying to discover what life's all about. What are we here for? And Paul says this. He says what? In him. It's in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him. Our position in him. We're seated in him. Let's close. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let me close with this. Look in verse 8. And he bowed himself, Meshibapheth, and said, Why is thy servant, what is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? This was Meshibapheth's identity. Why would you look on me? And we may never tell anybody that to someone's face. Those may, and maybe that particular terminology. But how do you really see yourself? Do you really see yourself as redeemed? Do you really see yourself reconciled? Do you really see yourself accepted? Do you really see yourself seated? Here he is in the king's presence. And the only thing he could do was bow down and said, What would you have to do with me, a dead dog? You know, a lot of times we don't, we don't want people to call us names, right? I, I, I remember a youth pastor I had, and he called, called someone out of the, the audience and really made us all mad because we didn't know where he was going with this. But he calls this young girl out and pulls her up, stands about five feet away from her. There's about 150 young people in the place, and looks right at her and says, you are the ugliest girl I've ever seen. You're overweight. Your breast stinks. Your hair is horrible. You don't dress right. And he went on and on with this long list. And everyone's like, we're going to take him out. <laughs> we're we're going we're to take him out. <laughs> but then he stopped and he said, 
What's the difference between me saying it and her thinking it? What's the difference than me saying something and her thinking that about herself? Because she wasn't any of those things. But what's the difference? We, we don't want anyone to call us names, but how often do we call ourselves names? How often do we speak negative about ourselves? Negative about how we see ourselves. We don't speak about ourselves as new creations. We don't speak about ourselves as being seated. But yet that's what you are. And here, Meshibbeth, sitting in the king's presence, and all he can think about is, why would you want me? I'm a dead dog. And remember, David is a picture of the Messiah. Verse 9, then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto my master all that pertains to Saul and to his house. Think about that. I have given unto thy master's son. Who was his master, Saul? I've given to thy master's son, meaning I've given unto Meshibbeth all that pertained to his grandfather and to his house. Meaning everything that was his father's, everything that he had lost, everything that Saul left, everything that David attained from Saul, David just been holding on to it because he wanted to show kindness to someone. He wanted to show mercy to someone. Everything that, everything that was Saul's, and he was a wealthy man. He said, I'm going to give it to Meshibbeth. Thou therefore and thy son and thy servants shall till, till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son, Meshibbeth, may have food to eat. But Meshibbeth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. What are you saying? Hey, you, you're the servant of Saul. Now you're going to go out and you're going to till Meshibbeth. He was in Lodabar. In a place where there's no pasture, now I'm going to bring you to where Saul's house is, and I'm going to send you out, all 15 of you and all your servants, and you're going to plow his field, and he's going to eat the fruit of these fields. Then said Zebun to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. Meaning he's saying, I'm happy to do it. As for Meshibbeth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Meshibbeth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwell in his house of Ziba were servants unto Meshibbeth. So Meshibbeth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. Wow. No matter, you may have been Meshibbeth. You may feel in the natural like you are Meshibbeth. But in the end, he ate at the king's table. He lost everything, had no pasture, had, had a horrible past, had a hard, horrible image of himself. But yet the king, David, a picture of the Messiah, says, I'm going to give him back everything that was his grandfather's. Not only that, but all his servants, you're now going to, he's going to have, he's going to have his own pastures. Where there was no pastures in, in Lodabar, he's going to have his own pastures. Not only that, but he's going to eat at my table. We are seated with him in heavenly places. He set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You are no longer what you've always been, but you are redeemed, reconciled, given access, and you are seated at the king's table. You don't lack anything. 
You don't lack anything. You don't lack anything. Go, go, to, go to Colossians. Go to Colossians real quick. You need to see this. Hallelujah. We sit at the king's table. We sit at the king's table. You need to lift up your head. You sit at the king's table. Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceits, meaning empty arguments, after the traditions of men and after the rudiments, meaning or the, or the thinking of this world, and that after Christ. You see, everyone around you wants to, and the things around you want you to give in to the traditions of the way everything has always been. But verse 8 says, For in him, for in Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Meaning when you look at Christ, he lacks nothing. Now get the next verse. And you are complete in him. Meaning don't let anyone deceive you out of what's rightfully yours. Why? Because in Christ is the Godhead bodily. Everything that's in God is in Christ. And then it turns out and says, and you are complete in him. You, you have a new identity. We are complete in him in every way. We sit at the king's table. Everyone stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that today we sit at the king's table. We're not lacking anything. We are complete in him. We have been redeemed. We have been reconciled. Hallelujah. We have access and we sit. We sit. We sit in heavenly places. We sit at the king's table. Hallelujah. Say, I sit at the king's table. Say, I sit at the king's table. Say, I don't lack anything at the king's table. Hallelujah. 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 I sit at the king's table. Hallelujah. I sit at the king's table. Hallelujah. I sit at the king's table. My position is in him and I'm complete in him. Not lacking anything. I'm telling you, you are victorious in him. You are more than a conqueror in him. You're not lacking anything. Hallelujah. Everyone bow your heads just for a moment. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. And I thank you, Father. You say, Pastor Justin, I, I, I'm here this morning and I, I feel like Meshibbeth. I feel like him. I feel like someone that has had a horrible past and, and, and have had been through a lot of things. I feel like I'm in a place called Lodabar where I'm at, I'm at the lowest of the low and I feel defeated. I feel like I'm never get on, getting on top. I feel like I've always been a loser. I've always been a failure. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Well, I declare to you, it's time to sit at the king's table. Sit at the king's table. Sit at the king's table. First thing you need to do is make a decision. To stop hanging out in Lodabar. Stop hanging out in Lodabar. Stop hanging out where, where they continue to shape your identity in the wrong way. Stop allowing other people to shape your identity. And allow the word to shape your identity. Because it's when you know the word. When you know truth. 
when you know your true identity, you'll be able to step into your true position. Hallelujah. Plant yourself. First thing is lay aside and lay behind those negative aspects and being planted in Lodabar and start planning yourself. One of the things we talked about this year about the faithful will flourish. Be rooted and planted in the house where God's called you to be. Whether it's this house or another house, be planted in the house. Because it's through our discipleship. It's through our discipleship we grow in our identity. We grow into who we are in Christ. We grow into the completeness and the fullness of what he's called us to be. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every aspect of Lodabar. And go to the king's table. There's peace there. There's strength there. There's joy there. This true identity. Hmm. Was Jesus a liar or did he declare truth? He said, I'm from above. So it doesn't matter what you might feel like. It doesn't what your natural might be. Someone asked, where are you from? So I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled. I've been given access. And I'm seated. Thank you, Father. This identity. Repeat this after me. Father God, I receive my true identity. I repent, repent. turn my back back. from my way of thinking, thinking. and I come up to your way of thinking. I come up up to my true identity. identity. I come up up. and I sit at the king's table. table. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Give him a shout of praise if you believe that, if you receive that today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, no better time than today. Hallelujah. Joseph and Charlene, they're over here in the front. And if you, if you, and we, we leave here today and you're like, you Pastor Justin, I, I, I want to receive this new identity. I want to receive what you're talking about. I want to I make things right in my, in my life. I want to make things right. My, even if it's as a whole family, I want to make things right as a family that we just get on board because we're tired of this old identity and we want to step in to this new identity. And if that's you today, before we dismiss today, see Joseph and Charlene up at the front here and they would love to minister that gift of salvation to you and put some things in your hand that will cause you to soar in your life. Also about this true identity in the coming weeks, I want to talk about what is this true identity? We're going to talk about that we're sons of God. That we're going to talk that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about what our inheritance is in the saints. See, first I had these last two weeks, I just lay the foundation of the, that, that you have a right to this true identity. Now we're going to discover what is this identity. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys. 
believe that God is, as you go throughout this rest of the week and the rest of the day, the Holy Spirit's going to continue to minister to you, strengthen you, empower you as you continue to walk out your journey with Christ. Amen. I call you blessed. I call you highly prospered and favored in every way. That God surrounds you, increases the fruits of your righteousness. That you're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. That you live at the king's table, not lacking anything. Amen. Well, give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah.